0: Welcome to the Chronicles of Nania, a nanny resource podcast made for nannies by me, a nanny. This week, we are talking about The Agency, which is a book written by Monica McGurk. Hello, Monica.
1: Hello, Martha. How are you?
0: I'm doing so well. I'm so excited to talk
1: to you about this. Same. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah,
0: thanks for being here. Okay, before we get started talking about your wonderful book, I would love to hear like any interactions in your life that you've had with being a nanny like or employing nannies, like any ways that nannies have have touched your life.
1: Absolutely. Um actually quite a few interactions with nannies, so um while I would not ever dare to call myself a professional nanny, I did have a summer stint um, with a family when I was much younger, decades ago, with two wonderful children, toddler and infant. Um, So I got my first taste of that experience early in my life. And then um, as a working mom, I've had almost every kind of child care possible, including at different stages Um, live in nannies, live out nannies, Um, nannies doing job share. Uh, Mm -hmm. So quite a bit of experience over the course of the childhoods of my three children.
0: That's wonderful. Uh, If you don't mind me asking, how old are your children now?
1: Uh, They are now, um, let's see, I have to do the math. I know, I know. 21, 19, and 15. So two in college, one about to graduate and one who's still in high school. Wow. That feels very surprising
0: to me. I think that um, we're beautiful at all ages, but you you do not present as someone who has a (laughs) 21-year-old
1: child. (laughs) Even with the the, uh, Zoom lighting. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Yeah. Um, awesome. Okay. Let's talk about this book. So, um, it's, it's called The Agency and it's the Norwood Nanny Chronicles book one. So that lets me know there's obviously going to be a book too. Um, all new series. Oh, I'm so excited because I do feel like a lot of the literature that is written about nannies, sometimes it does get kind of tropey, you know, like really quickly. So it does feel exciting that like the protagonist, right. Is the nanny.
1: Absolutely. Um, And there's actually a whole crew of fantastic uh, nannies in training in this case, but very much challenging those tropes you were mentioning. So um, when I've read books where nannies featured prominently, um, sometimes they were you know, evil interlopers in the home. Mm-hmm. We're all familiar with that trip or, um, you know, screwed up person who stumbles into and is not quite competent or just like uh, which angelic, Yes. like the magical savior of the family. Um, and this one really taps into that quote. Um, in fact, it's in the front of the book that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Mm-hmm. It's about the influence and power that, um, these young women and in one case, man, mm-hmm. um, influence you know, not just in the families, but in current events, because they're not quite entirely what they seem. So they're nannies, but they're even more. Oh, I love that. So, so much.
0: Um, would you mind just giving us like the blurb about like, what,
1: what is the story in this book? Sure. So we meet a young woman, Brie, who is an orphan from Alabama on her first day at a very famous academy for nannies. Um, she's been accepted in to this program, which is a very high-stakes program, um, world-renowned. It offers the opportunity to get into a very competitive certificate program that gains you entry into the types of families that you would probably give your right eye tooth for. Um, right royal families, corporate executives, ambassadors, um, very jet-setting, high-profile type of nanny roles where the expectations are quite high. Right. She a cohort um, of group mates who are joining her on this journey, each with their own interesting past. And as they go through the training, they discover some fun and have some fun, interesting adventures, but they also uncover that the school is not all that it seems and that they're going to have to work together, keep their wits about them uh, to even survive their nanny training, perhaps. So it's um, a little bit of a mystery. It's um, got a good sense of humor. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is set um, primarily not in the United States, even though our main character is from the United States. It's set in Bath, England in large part and in Turkey Um, on her first nannying assignment. And so it's a lot of fun, but also through what it explores, surfaces some interesting issues that are wrapped up in current events. And all of it um, examines gender dynamics and women's roles and stereotypes and, and things. So you can read it as a fun jaunt, or you can really delve into a lot of the deeper themes that come out in the book
0: it does really feel to me, to me, like, uh, like you got inside of my brain and created the perfect book for me. Um, I
1: hope it's the perfect book. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you think when you're all finished. <laughs> yeah. So I
0: admitted before we hit record that I have not read the book yet, but um, I am going on vacation in a couple weeks, and this is my book for my vacation. I am currently in grad school, so sadly, a lot of my reading is very dry. Um.
1: Yeah, I can imagine um, having been down that road myself. Yeah. So this is, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun read. I think it's like a mashup of Mary Poppins meets James Bond. That's oh. the like short sentence that I would use to describe it, um, and once it gets going, it's a page turner.
0: Yes. Yes. So how did you like decide to set it in England, especially with that like Southern element? Cause I'm originally from Tennessee. So, and I studied abroad in England. So this really is like, how did you make oh, that I- decision to set it in England?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I would say I approached it from two ways. One is when I write, this is my, my fourth published novel. Um, I always choose locales that I want to go to. Mm. So I have um, a little bit of an excuse for travel because I take my research very seriously. So when I originally started this, um, I had an opportunity to be in England and to attach some extra travel to it. And I was like, oh, Bath would be wonderful. I've not been to Bath. Um, It happens that there is actually a famous school um, a child development, childhood development program and nanny academy that is in Bath. Um, that is one of the inspirations for the school that's featured in the book. Um, and so again, it was a fun opportunity to just take advantage of that. And then from there, uh, you get to explore a whole bunch of different worlds because of, um, that setting and the type of placements that the school can make and, and the like. So for me it was um a little bit of a lark, slightly inspired by research, but um I I have enjoyed it. And I think the odd thing that I discovered when I started researching more is there were a lot of things about the history of bath, especially if you go way back into Roman history that made it particularly well suited for this story um so in the book you know there's an a, a scene where the main character and some of her um friends get to go to the roman baths and learn about the history of the roman baths and there are little little clues that come up and those are real those actually are true um, elements of the history of the baths and the Roman society that once was in baths. So it all worked out. And I, I find often when I write that that's the case, it might be just because of what you're looking for, but you find little things that give you that sign you're on the right path. Yeah. So there's a, even like a little bit
0: of like Da Vinci code type stuff in there too, of like, yeah. Yeah. a yeah. Um, love that. Did you get to travel to Turkey too?
1: I didn't travel to Turkey for this book, but I have traveled to Turkey in the past because it has been uh, another in another book that I read. I did set a big part of it in um, Istanbul, in fact. And so I was able to draw on that experience for this. Yeah, that is beautiful. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I have not had the
1: pleasure, but I have been um,
0: to England several times. Um, and I studied in Canterbury, um, for six months. So not bath, but, um, yeah, like the opposite way of bath, but, um, from London, but yeah, I, I really love English culture. And I do think it is so smart to set it there because when we think of like iconic nannies throughout history, they are almost all English. You know, mm-hmm. like <laughs> your Mary Poppins, even like um, Maria in The Sound of Music, you know, The Governess, like that, um, and Nanny McPhee,
1: yeah, almost all of them. Then Peter Pan, I mean, you can think of a lot of reference points in culture. So it does tap into something that's familiar for people, but also intriguing, because yeah. most of us, face it, don't grow up with a nanny in our household. So. Right. Right, kind of thing to see. Yeah. Um,
0: So I I'm curious about you know like you you mentioned that you've written other books, um, and I I know from background research on your work that you feature a lot of like really strong women, um, female protagonists in your in your work. I'm curious about that because. Yeah, nanny, like certainly it is not um, only women that are nannies, but the majority of our um, cohort is women. So I'm curious
1: about that. Well, part of it, I think, is just having gone through the experience as a professional, You're starting out early in my career where there weren't a lot of women doing what I was doing and often being the only one in the room. A different point. So I think my awareness of that is quite high. Part of it comes from you know, my daughter, right? My 19 year old daughter. Luckily she doesn't have the same experiences that I had, um, and, and won't face the same experiences that I had or challenges because we've evolved so much. But when I started writing I often found I was really annoyed with some of the books that she read because the female characters were waiting to be saved or um, so much of the plot was connected to and driven by uh, the love story. Yes. There's anything wrong with love stories, but I, I wanted in my own writing for there to be um, a little bit more agency for the main characters. I, when I wrote my first book, I wanted my daughter to be able to read it and be proud and inspired by those characters. Uh, and I think the main characters in the agency are even more so um, than in the first trilogy that I wrote these, the women are really, fantastic, strong, independent, um, ambitious, and unapologetically so. And I I love that about them. Um, I love that this is a setting where everything is run by women. The administration at this school is run by women. Um, As you unpeel and learn more about the setting, it's even more astonishing what they're doing and so it's just a lot of fun given I'm really committed to painting those kinds of pictures of women in literature.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how like how did you go about creating these characters? I love that it's like in a cohort. I love that we get to see different um nannies from different backgrounds, but how you know, how did you give a voice to all these different strong women?
1: Yeah. Well, they, the thing about the cohort and um, the way the school works is that they have to be in rooming groups.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that created a natural unit to go from the big class down to a small group of them. Um, so the group that becomes the, the focus of the novel is three women and the first male nanny student to matriculate to the school. Um, and so that becomes a very tight lens throughout the right. story on, at Foursome. Then you've got their teachers um, and the administrators, some of whom play very prominent roles. And then there's a mentor of Brie, the orphaned main character, um, someone who's been with her almost her whole life um, as a patroness of the orphanage that she grew up in. So you've got this little tight orbit. And um, they have different backgrounds, of course, different roles in driving the plot forward. And so it became really fun to bring that to life and um, think about their interactions from their different socioeconomic backgrounds and their different personal histories and how that would influence how they interacted with one another and how they rose to the challenges of the nannying um, and the training that they're going through. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I could see a lot of really wonderful discussions coming from that, um, throughout the book. Um, and I love that you have the first male nanny in there. I think that that is so important. And, um, I really, on this podcast, I try to almost always say they, or he and she, um, when I'm talking about nannies, because I do think that, Male nannies have a very hard road, um, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I think I think that's so important to have that part be part of this story and the gender issues that come up from that. I think is probably yeah very fertile ground.
1: Yeah, and I was lucky, um, you know, my brother nanny when he was in between jobs so to speak. So again, he wasn't a professional, but he did have a caregiving background. Um, He had worked um, in nursing homes and, uh, you know, other venues like that. Uh, So he um, was with my two younger children um, for a while and it was a really great experience for them. So I thought it was fun, interesting. You put him in the situation, but like inverse of what is normal, that he's the odd duck Mm -hmm. in this fairly female environment and um dash as this character is called is really interesting too because he's you know from an he's from the nobility and so it's kind of an odd choice for him to be here as well and so his motivations how he interacts what his preconceptions are about the whole thing became a lot of fun to explore as well
0: yeah. Did you base that character a little bit on your brother or is it like, Oh, no,
1: really. no, he, he just kind of was completely made up, but yeah. fun. Yeah. It's, it's sometimes fun to just not have any model or blueprint in your head. Cause then you can make them whatever you want.
0: Yeah. Is that mostly true for all of these characters that they, they kind of were like born anew, not based on anything.
1: Usually, when I write, I pull little bits and pieces, um, but they're more of a mosaic or composite than completely modeled after one person. So, um, the character Shishmita or Susie, she goes by both names in the book, uh, she had some personal characteristics that were drawn from someone that I've known in the past you know, who was very flirtatious and played very um, innocent or almost dumb, I I would say, Mm -hmm. hide what was really a very sophisticated strategic approach to getting her way. Um, so that was one inspiration for sure. Um, other than that, I'd say that there are more incidents in the plot that I could say, oh, this, you know, this actually really happened, or this was drawn from here more than anything else.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I love that. I, I love creativity that, you know, maybe has ingredients, but comes up as this whole new thing. Um, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I'm also curious about like, did you, cause you said that you love to to research. And a lot of that goes into your writing. What research about the nanny world um, did you do
1: for this? Yeah, actually a fair bit of researching education programs, um, particularly these more elite type of programs, agencies and how they play what their clientele is like Um, is some, some of the resources on podcasts, websites and the like that are communities for nannies where they talk about issues or learn together, um, trying to draw you know, all of that out to understand, okay, what, what would you need to know to be prepared to go into these environments? And how do you go through that in what is a pretty compressed type of academic program that in in my book in my world we've created um so there was a, a lot of that and of course with some of that inspiration coming from the school in bath being there on site checking out the campus checking out the community understanding just the environment that they would be in mm-hmm. was also really important um, what they try to avoid and I do this generally as a rule is not to read other people's writing about nannies Um, just to avoid having that influence me in the moment of writing so that I could be sure that my ideas were original and not connected to any of those tropes that we were talking about earlier
0: yeah yeah
1: absolutely absolutely
0: Um, what do you like to do outside of writing I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. So um, I, I work as an executive in the business world. So I've got that whole other side of my life beyond that. My kids keep me really busy. Mm -hmm. Uh, a puppy who's about to turn one this week. so (gasps) She's very big. Her name is Ellie. She's a Bernie doodle and she's just um, adorable. So she keeps us busy as well. Just playing with her and caring for her and the like. Um, my family is all composed of big readers. So I do a lot of reading on my own, just for pleasure. Um, we cook a lot or pretty avid foodies. So enjoy creating a good meal together enjoying a nice glass of wine together. Um, and then the, the arts I'm on the board, the women's board of a ballet company here in the United States in Chicago, actually. And, um, So just get involved in the community and enjoy the arts and yeah, exercise, enjoy the crisp winter air of Chicago. Yes. (laughs) Travel now, hopefully, knock wood that things are opening up, get back into travel mode and see the world a little bit more. It's been a while.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you are, uh, balancing a lot of things. I mean, um, Yeah. How do you, how do you strike that balance of all the different balls that you're juggling?
1: Yeah. You know, what I found um, in the past, actually I had a a big aha moment over a decade ago was if I didn't make time for myself, I was going to get burned out. Mm -hmm. And so whatever it was, it doesn't matter. And like for you, it'd be different than it is for me, but something, whatever it was, Just to be re-energizing myself and taking some time for myself was going to be really important. And so that's how I approach the writing um, and just like basic exercises like to care for yourself and make sure that you have the stamina and the energy to do all of those things. I enjoy being busy. Mm -hmm. Um, I find I'm more efficient the busier I am because it forces me to be organized. And so that's kind of how I approach it for things like my writing, it's for me more than anything else. I mean, I, I love it. I absolutely adore it when people read and especially if I know they're enjoying it or they take the time to comment and engage, you know, it's wonderful, but it's something I would do even if nobody read it quite honestly, because it's, it's just creating a whole new world, which I think is just fun. Um, but that also means that since it's more for me, I don't have to put time deadlines on myself uh, until I'm ready to go to publish. And and then the clock starts ticking. I can make the trade-offs I need to, to be able to manage all the different elements of my life. So like this book, it didn't take me this long to write it, but because I put it on the shelf at different points. And then when it was ready to go, I waited for about a year because I didn't want to get into the publishing process. Mm -hmm. It was probably five years from start to finish, which I think other people might not have the um, stamina or be willing to take that long. And if, you know, if other people are relying on that for their livelihood, they certainly would not want to take that long. But for me, it was fine.
0: Right. Right. And you mentioned when you were giving us kind of the summary um, that there are some serious issues too, without like spoiling it for, for me and for listeners. um, I'm curious about what are some of those like more serious topics that are touched on in this book?
1: Sure. So one of the things that I thought was interesting about this elite placement is that it's very likely you're going to be in families where one or more of the parents are involved in something of significant international, um, scale. You know, if if you're an international business person leading a global company, you're going to be worried about dealing with global markets and trade barriers. If you are placed in the home of someone who's in the government or in, um, an ambassador role, something like that, you're gonna have international conflicts to deal with. And so that became a good jumping off point. Like, how do you interact? You're supposed to be kind of behind the scenes, but you're at the heart of the family. So you're gonna get put into these situations perhaps where you're interacting with people who are engaging in those issues. What do you need to know? How do you need to behave? Um, And then as they get placed into actual situations, they find themselves running into them. Um, So some of the things range from, you know, uh, refugee issues, Mm -hmm. which is very timely now with, you know, the conflict um, and the invasion of Ukraine. It's, It's a whole nother level of massive refugee crisis on top of what was already probably the peak of refugee movement and migration around the world um, and certainly in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Um, So that comes to the forefront and how that intersects with human trafficking. um, As one example, there's a little bit of background on some conflicts that are just kind of bubbling like um, issues with the middle East or China Um, Partly for their education and partly because of the families that they get placed with.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I would imagine if you are training to be in these um, kind of more international, global spaces or working for these families who are interacting in that way, yeah, you would need training on. I mean, I would need training on that for sure,
1: Um, and. (laughs) I mean, maybe the perception is you're going to be, quote unquote, in the background, right? But that doesn't mean that you're not there. Right. And you never know what you're going to get pulled into. And you need to be able to read the signs of what's going on because your first responsibility is to protect your family and those kids. And things could boomerang in a way that would impact your ability to do that. So it's kind of fun.
0: That is, that's
1: very fun. I'm also,
0: I'm really interested in, in the human trafficking. Is that like a, a an issue that you care deeply about?
1: It is. Um, I discovered it when I was doing research for my first book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opening scene of my first book starts with a child abduction
0: mm-hmm.
1: that ends happily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm a very fact-based person. And so it's like, Oh, I wonder how common this is. And I, you know, did what many of us do. I went to Google and I entered in some search terms and I was shocked because what came back was not really about child abductions in the way I was thinking about it. Like the random person who snatches you at the bus stop. Right. It was about the whole business of human trafficking and how Big of a business it was. And the fact that it was even going on where I was living at the time. Mm. Um, So I was very shocked because at that point, it wasn't really at the forefront of people's consciousness. And it was the kind of thing that once I knew about it, I couldn't not learn more and try to do something about it. Um, So I ended up getting involved because I worked that theme, that issue as one of the major sub themes of that initial trilogy. And in the first book I had um, an, an imaginary nonprofit working in the, in the space, but I researched and found an actual nonprofit that it was modeled upon a little bit Mm -hmm. with a perfect name called street grace. And Mm -hmm. I just could not come up with a better name. And so I cold called the CEO and said, Hey, you don't know me. I wrote this book and I want to use your name. And of course I know you won't give me permission if you haven't read the books, so I'm going to send you a book. And anyway, from there, we developed a really lovely relationship, um, for a long time while I was living in Atlanta, I was on their speakers bureau, um, mm-hmm. focusing on youth organizations to come and bring a fact-based non, um, Non-exploitative way to talk about it, but make young people aware, since you know they're the ones who are targeted and at risk for this. And it became really important for me to use those books and popular literature, pop culture, to help drive awareness with that age group. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a very um, important cause that I've affiliated myself with. And while it's not as much of a focus in the agency, it does have a few touch points where you can see that again, coming to life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I love what you say about, um, what you said about, you know, when you first started researching it, thinking that it was just this abduction, you know, like, and while that does happen, I think it's I think it is really important to understand that that's not the most prevalent thing that's happening with human trafficking that um, because if we don't understand the problem, we can't work to help solve it. So um,
1: you got it. Uh, And it's, there are certain populations that are more vulnerable, but it's much more widespread and common than any of us realized. And so now it's, I think it's really exciting you walk in any airport and you see signs and there are hotlines. And 10 years ago, it wasn't nearly as well understood. Um, and the the way, at least in this country, people have kind of responded and stepped up to try and deal with the root causes and some of the um, systemic things in our legal system has been um, really gratifying for me.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful. Oh, I love it. Um, so you mentioned, or I guess I mentioned earlier that this is book one. Um, are there fun new surprises coming in a book two sometime?
1: Yes. Um, so I have um, a full manuscript for book two. So it'll still be, you know, go through some iterations before it's published, but in book 2 um, one of the things that is kind of fun about it is you get to go back in time and see what actually happened and uh, to Bree's parents you know in the up to her becoming orphaned which is fascinating it puts you into a different time and place um, a big window into one of the biggest mysteries that gets teed up in book one. Um, so you've got that you spend more time in the South. They actually go back to Alabama and visit her hometown in Muscle Shoals. Um, and it's, um, I think it's a good payoff for some of the cliffhangers. I guess I would say, uh, you get a lot unpacked in book two.
0: Oh, that sounds so good. Um, I'm also curious, about
1: do you have audiobook versions of your books no but I keep getting asked that question so I think I must have to get some because it seems like that's the thing now
0: yeah yeah I I'm a huge um audiobook person um and I still I love to read physical books, but you know, sometimes like the time to do that isn't there. Um, and so audiobooks allow me to read
1: more because I can
0: listen while I'm driving or whatever. So I was just curious.
1: Yep. I, I have been asked that so consistently with the launch of this book that I think it's gonna have to get on the to do list. Yeah. For-
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know so many nannies, um, listen, like during our nanny day, um, especially when you're working with like infants, um, it can feel (laughs) so lonely.
1: Yeah. Like if you're pushing a stroller and they're asleep and, uh, yeah, that multitasking, I I think that would be, um, really compelling. Yeah. Yeah. And does it a lot while he's Driving, mm-hmm. he listens to audiobooks and podcasts a lot um, for his longer drives. So I can definitely see the value of that. Yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: I am excited for folks to read this. I really, I talk so often with guests who are nannies about how we sometimes do feel unseen. There's a lot of um, invisible labor of being a nanny. And to have a book about us with um, adventure and, you know, strong, powerful characters is, it's a gift. So thank you for for picking Nannies as your subject.
1: Oh, I'm so pleased. And I can guarantee to all your listeners, when you read this, you're going to feel seen. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there is that fantastical element to it, but you nailed it. Um, this is putting all of you right front and center. So yes. free to have that opportunity. And thanks for having me on your show.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. Um, and there are links down in the show notes of where you can go, uh, buy the book because, yep. um, we can all do like a book club together. Ooh, I love that.
1: Um, yeah. I do club appearances too, especially world. So if you ever do it, give me a shout. will
0: do. I love that. Um, Wonderful. Well, we end each episode with like a a cute, fun or inspiring, sweet story.
1: And um, Monica has brought one. So we mentioned earlier in our conversation that I've had um, the privilege of having nannies with my family at different points in in our family life. And I just wanted to share how important they are to us um, by talking about my Christmas cards, <laughs> because um, we're all, we have moved from the location, the city where we raised our children for most of their lives. Uh, but we stay in touch with all of the nannies who've been a part of our, our family over the years. And it's, One of my greatest pleasures at Christmas, getting their, their cards and seeing their children, um, seeing them grow and, um, probably most excitedly how one of the children is named after my daughters. Oh my gosh. So we're, um, we're tight, we're tight, our extended family. And, um, I just wanted to share that because as you were saying, if people, ever feel undervalued i just wanted to say not in the mcgurk household man (laughs) the bond for oh i love that
0: so much that is that's so that's really really wonderful um i i did grow up with they, they weren't exactly nannies but babysitters that um really helped raise me in a lot of ways. Um, and I still keep in touch with them and it is so meaningful. Um, so I appreciate that very, very much. Thank you so much, Monica, for taking time to talk with me today.
1: Oh, thank you, Martha. And thanks to all of your listeners. Really yes. enjoy- thank you
0: all for listening. We will see you next week coming at you from Nanny Palooza 2022. Get excited. There's going to be a really big announcement in next week's episode. So mark your calendars, be on the lookout. See you next week, everyone. The Chronicles of Nannia is produced and hosted by Martha Tyler. Artwork by Noni Blastodon. Theme music by Brad Kemp. Find him at SecondBedroomStudios.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronicles of Narnia and on Twitter at Narnia Podcast. To contact us, email chroniclesofnarnia@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture.